Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to the Mr. Beacon podcast. This week's episode is going to be an ambient IoT standards update with Amahai Sandorovich, who is the director responsible for standards here at Williot. I got a chance to talk to him at our Caesarea office, which is in Israel, where a lot of the R&D is done on chip design and our cloud platform. So it was a great opportunity to check in with someone who's really tapped into some important work that will help Ambient IoT scale and be applied to solve some of the world's biggest problems. I hope you enjoy the discussion. The Mr. Beacon Ambient IoT podcast is sponsored by Williot, bringing intelligence to every single thing. So, Amahai, welcome back to the Mr. Beacon podcast. Very pleased uh, to be here again. So, this podcast has found its way to focus on IoT, on ambient IoT, and you really are at the heart of this emerging field. You're Williot's representative uh, in standards groups, and uh, you're working, you're very busy. I, I know you're spending a lot of time uh, traveling and on calls with IEEE, it's 3GPP, and there's also, you know, a lot of interest in what we're doing uh, in other uh, radio standards, uh, in, including Bluetooth, which obviously has the uh, uh, advantage of being a, a technology that, that, that we're using today for our own implementation of ambient IoT. But this work is about going way beyond Williot to harnessing the power of the enormous technology industry, uh, some of the biggest companies in the world who operate in you think about the, the companies that operate in the world of Wi-Fi, uh, the equipment makers in uh, the telco industry, the network operators that have this personal relationship with almost every adult in the world. Um, and, and they're the ones that potentially get bought into uh, the ambient IoT world that uh, the rails of which get built on standards. And you're working on that. And of course, you've been on the podcast before, uh, so anyone that wants to kind of get the 101 on Ambient IoT standards can go back and listen to that. But I think what we should do in this discussion is do an update primarily. Um, and, you know, it's not like this work is done, but I think it's important, so it's very useful to have a sense of 
where we are at the moment. Um, and uh, uh, but we should also recap a, a, a little bit and explain the different standards activities just you know briefly. Um, uh, and then we can maybe uh, talk about where uh, it could go and the open questions. And the last thing to say before I hand over to you is is to acknowledge, obviously, we're just one actor in a play with many parts. And uh, in many ways, we're dancing with, with giants. That said, I think Williot has something to offer in that we have successful implementations that are being used by some of the largest companies in the world, and we're scaling to many millions of ambient IoT sensors. And so we have the benefit of learning about some things that don't work and uh, some things that definitely do work. And so that's our, our contribution. But where this standards uh, journey ends up, obviously nobody knows. Um, but there's certainly a lot of momentum. So, so tell me about that momentum and just uh, for, for those people that didn't watch the first podcast, maybe you can describe uh, each of the, the, the main standards efforts. So uh, first of all, 3GPP, not everyone's familiar with that standards body. So perhaps you can explain what that, who they are and what they're working on. Yes. So uh, 3GPP is the standard which is uh, responsible for the cellular networks. Uh, it's the underlying technical standards that all deployments of uh, cellular uh, rely on. So if we have 5G, for example, and, uh, and you, we buy 5G from uh, Verizon, the technology uh, behind that, uh, that uh, deployment is written as a standard by the free GPP. So that any, basically any vendor who wishes to go into market and uh, have a play uh, can basically uh, read this uh, standard and implement it. And 3GPP has been for a while, it, uh, it was responsible for the 3G, the 4G, the LTE, the 5G, which was uh, already rolled out. And uh, now they are uh, starting to discuss also uh, the 6G. So uh, usually they are not uh, limited to the Gs. The 3GPP works on the releases, which are a uh, uh, fine resolution uh, cadence compared to the Gs. Uh, well, you have few releases between each uh, G generation. So you can improve uh, the features between and not just get a step response to the market. So this ambient IoT uh, release will probably be many releases, I, I imagine. It's not going to be one and done. Yes. Um, what is the name of the release and what is the name of the G, uh, the marketing name, uh, that this may uh, uh, manifest itself in? Yes, yeah, so there are currently discussions, not clear yet, whether uh, it is uh, solid enough to include as a main feature or just as a study to prepare for a next release. So currently we are talking about release 19, which is due one and a half year, two years from now. Well, two and a half years from now. Uh, um, release 19 is called 5G Advanced. So this is, I think, the brand name used, brand name used for uh, 
Aprilis 19. And uh, uh, I think 6G will be probably named for a release 21. Okay. So we have, let's say, two releases, main releases. So it's not very hard, you know. Sometimes it gets pushed earlier if market demands or push later, and then releases are uh, not fully synchronized. But this is the way 3GPP arranges its working uh, process by releases. So we have this standard coming to a phone near you, coming to a cellular device in your 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 car and many other uh, devices that surround us, uh, courtesy of the Apples, the Samsungs, the AT&Ts, the, the Verizons, the Oranges. Um, what is, what does this, you know, so we have our conception of ambient IoT, which has been formed by our kind of, pragmatic desire to get postage stamp size compute devices on clothing, on medicine, um, on all of the everyday things that so far have been offline, putting them online and unlocking the power of generative AI, chat GPT, cloud computing, and applying it to the ordinary things that surround us. It's in a manner turning the lights on if we've been living our lives from a computing perspective with the lights off, with flashlights and torches, we kind of get to see things. This is a world where everything is online all of the time, continuously in real time. That's sort of, I guess, how we see ambient IoT. How in this world of standards does the, the standards group see ambient IoT? How would they define ambient IoT? It's a very good question, actually. Uh, usually, each company has its own vision, but I think our vision, or very similar to our vision, is what everybody also thinks about. So, making it super cheap, way cheaper than uh, order of magnitudes, cheaper than what's currently considered to be cellular. So, small numbers of cents for connectivity as opposed to small hundreds of dollars for connectivity. I wouldn't put the number right right now, but uh, yeah, order of magnitude, few yes. orders of magnitude, not, not just one order of magnitude. Yes. And uh, of course, supporting a non-battery, so you can charge from air and not uh, rely on a, a internal battery, which is also bad for the environment, potentially be bad for the environment and limit uh, the lifetime and require maintenance. <clears throat> and uh, you are expected to have a lot of them. So all the use cases that were uh, considered by the free GPP are uh, also considered. So we, we contributed the, the supply chain use case where you, you are uh, significantly reducing the waste for, uh, so for food, su from food supply chains and uh, improving quality, maybe even allowing foods that were currently un not possible without the tight control possible with the ambient IoT. So bringing vi visibility to the cold chain, the food supply chain. Yes. Um, currently, stuff gets harvested, put on trucks, delivered, and you know we only have uh, very manual, occasional visibility of that. But this is transforming the food supply chain so that we have we know for every minute temperature and place of things. And so I guess we can reduce waste and 
have better tasting food that lasts longer. Yes, um, yes, yes. And um, so I think there's a lot of benefits to whether you're selling food or eating food that pretty much impacts every human being in the world. Uh, and this could improve that. Significantly, I think uh, most companies see the benefit. I mean, there were other companies that see benefit for medical. So being able to control uh, medical uh, supplies, medical uh, drug uh, administration. So better efficacy, better, uh, um, you know, I, I think no one knows. Literally nobody knows how much of a problem there is with people taking medicine that doesn't work because it's been kept at the wrong temperature. Yes, uh, and also kept too low. sometimes so. people forget and it can remind them and it gets tighter controlled for what's, what's the drug administration going. Any other use cases uh, that, that have uh, been submitted that uh, have captured people's imagination? Yes, so there was a, a, a submission about indoor location. Currently, all indoor location are based on Wi-Fi, which requires maintenance. You require to deploy a access points which are connected to a plug to electricity. Uh, only for, you know, being able to, to send a small pulse, just let you know where you are. For example, if you are in a, a skyscraper and someone has a medical situation within mm -hmm. which in urgency, uh, you would like to direct the medical teams to exactly where he is, even if no one else is there to tell them we are on floor 101 or 102. Absolutely. This is an amazing... I actually worked on this uh, before joining Williot, and I got very excited about this use case. And... Uh, you know, in America, you dial 911. Other countries, sometimes it's a different number, but you need help. But if you're in a city, um, it's very hard to tell where you are. And maybe you're like, I'm here in Israel, and, uh, you know, most there's a language gap. And uh, so being able to overcome that and allowing us to get help to people that need it and knowing what floor, what building, what floor, what room. Yes, yes. So, there is one suggestion to to put stickers, which will don't require any batteries. Uh, they last forever, very low maintenance, very simple to anyone to deploy and just stick them. And the phone, once it's up and you want to get where you are, you just can read out, read these, uh, the information from these tags, read out them, and then, for the cloud, you can really estimate where you are uh, in the phone. I am so glad to hear this. So this is new news to me, and this is, uh, to me, a very important use case. Um, yes, I agree. It's, uh, it's something that uh, really solves uh, a hard problem. Because we feel like this should have been solved, but I think many of us who have used... Uh, uh, Maps on our smartphone in a city know that there's just a, it's very challenging to get this uh, right. It's sometimes you can be out by a block. So, and and then you think about these multi-story buildings, and uh, uh, you know there can be people who are really in serious trouble, and uh, they can't be helped. But this can solve that problem. Yes, yes. I think it's it, it it's it's a very important contribution to solving very hard problem of indoor location. 
Yes. Um, yes, there are, of course, additional use cases for agriculture to be able to, to smart, uh, improve the agriculture process by uh, tightly controlling or measuring uh, all sorts of parameters like moisture or temperature per, uh, per um, plant or per animal. Yes. If you have a pig farm or you have a, a, a very big uh, field. Um, and that's important as well. If we, if we think about yes. climate change, whilst we speak, the whole world's uh, facing record temperatures and uh, people are dying uh, and uh, certainly in distress. Um, and so I think the food is one of the biggest food productions, one of the biggest uh, sources of carbon. So getting, applying the power of the internet to reducing water consumption, reducing the inputs, um, healthier food um, uh, can be really uh, interesting. And um, so we're starting to see, you know, uh, proof points and evidence uh, of that happening, like in marijuana production, where the where the tagging uh, is being driven by different regulatory needs. I think this is starting to be normalized, this idea of having Internet of Things technology at the plant level and tracing the provenance, allowing people to know where their food has come from. So one of the things that I, I was talking to an amazing gentleman called uh, Professor Mike uh, Berners-Lee, um, who's professor of climate science at Lancaster University. And uh, he's uh, has written some amazing books. I've mentioned them before on the podcast, but How Bad's a Banana, the Carbon Footprint of Everything is one, and then There Is No Planet B is another. Um, and he, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I think he has expressed some optimism about is the power of mobilizing our wallets spend money on food that actually regenerates the planet rather than makes the planet worse. And you can, there are farms where the carbon's going into the soil and it's not coming out. And if we knew those farms and could say, I want to buy food from regenerative farms, that could be huge. Why would we do that to save the planet? But also because it tastes better, has less artificial uh, 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 um, uh, fertilizers and uh, uh, pesticides, and uh, I think our ability to use ambient IoT to join up people that make things with the people that consume things is tremendously powerful and, and just makes for a better experience. I, I go to uh, one of my favorite stores um, in San Diego, it's called Jimbo's, and they have a little sign that says, this came from this farm that is like 33 miles from this store. This could scale. And we, if, if everyone knew that, then we can really make a difference as individuals with, and, and also get better food as well. So that's great that that's in there. I'm really pleased. So just to, to recap, we've been going through some of the use cases, and this is the way the standards process works, right? You, you don't just come up with technology and look for a solution. You say, here are the use cases. So we could go on, and I know there are other use cases, but these use cases, again, not just coming from Williot, but from companies like Apple and, uh, you know, find my uh, everything. Uh, um, so where, tell us a bit about the mechanics of creating that standard and 
and where we are in that process? So we started with the initial uh, use cases, and now we are starting to see how the existing uh, deployments, devices, uh, can support this technology. What is required for them in order to support it in the economic way, beneficial way, um, timing way, best uh, time to market. And uh, so it's kind of like you need to now connect between the dots. It's a very uh, hard job of you have requirements on one end and the device on the other end. And you need to see what is the shortest way between these uh, requirements. It's very appealing to say, okay, let's rebuild everything from scratch. But uh, this is not an economical uh, or sustainable uh, solution. So you want to be able to connect them in the most uh, efficient way, which also makes sense for all vendors so the ecosystem can grow. Uh, we start, of course, with the basic, only the link layer. What connections do we want? Do we want to connect directly to the base station? Do we want to connect to a small base station called PicoCell? Do we want to connect to the phone? Uh, do we want any relay in the middle to be able to assist us? Uh, do we want a specific band? So cellular currently has a lot of channels. Verizon has specific different channels. frequencies. Yes, different frequencies. Yes, and then which which channel do do we want to use? Uh, there are a lot of, of questions. What is the security? How to apply the security? Uh, how do we manage so many devices? So you have like foreseen thousands of devices uh, and management of such a big number is not very simple task in terms of the network. Sure. I mean, so at the moment, there's roughly a billion phones made every year, but we're talking about orders of magnitude, uh, you know, may maybe even three orders of magnitude more devices. So not billions, but the internet of trillions of things. And fortunately, this industry is very good at dealing with scale. That's one of the things that they, they bring, I think, beyond just the technology. It's a set of companies where there are customer service and portals. And so I'm excited about the telco industry joining Ambient IoT because there's a level of... Uh, governance and um, um, uh, trusted uh, companies. We may not love them, but we trust them. We're familiar with them that can help uh, bring order uh, to, to this. So that's, that's a really think, good thing. I think there are a, lo a lot of engineering uh, efforts, you know, IQ efforts from these big companies that, you know, can really improve yes. and get a very good uh, working uh, devices so i interrupted you so just uh, so there's uh, you have numbers of i find this fascinating how do you get something as complex as, the, as this to be agreed by so many companies with vested sometimes conflicting uh, interests and and just opinions on the right way to to do it how is that organized so i think uh, any com every company has its own set of uh, wishes on set of uh, customers and uh, all sets of uh, engineering skills. And then each company has its own trade-off, internal trade-off, what, what should we focus? 
what should we defocus. And then we have negotiations between the companies. Each company uh, wants something else. Uh, and everybody, company gives a list. So we have, every company gives this list. We have the operators, for example, who are the customers eventually. They have what they want. And they put ambient IoT there quite high in their uh, wish list. And then the technology company say, we can deliver it for the next uh, year or not. Or we want to delay it to later release. And then we have a lot of discussions. What will be the features going in eventually? What is easiest? And uh, this is uh, this is usually done in a, it's a process call, in a meeting called workshop. So during the workshop, all the companies come, flash their uh, feathers, mm-hmm. and then eventually uh, you come up with what the, most of the company thinks it's reasonable, agreeing, agreeing to to this, and uh, and then start the actual work. Of, of the of the converged task. So we have a list of dozens and dozens of features that could be in release 19, what will become 5G advanced. Um, maybe we don't give specific numbers, but roughly how many features can be fit in a release and roughly where is ambient IoT? Is it the top at the bottom below the bottom of the cut line where wh- yes. where are we so i think uh, it's a good question uh, the ambient iot is very high on the wish list of most of the companies yeah which makes sense because whether you're an equipment maker or an operator there's huge value there's, there's a lot of money to be made as well as solving like you know we all want to be found if we're having a stroke or uh, we all want to have good food we all want to have the uh, the, yes. the 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 climate uh, problem solved? So uh, uh, hopefully think, that weighs it. I think also it's uh, it's if if you want to prepare to six G, you s- you must start with the certain feature of re- early on. Yes. In order for them to mature towards the six G, you cannot wait too much. So uh, this is a trade off actually. How many features you want to uh, keep on working for five G, and how many? new features towards the 6G you want to start uh, including. Okay. There is a trade-off. Of course, there is no single answer. Uh, The fear for ambient is that it's too much work. So whether it can fit in or not, this is the main uh, concern. There are a lot of other items, of course, other technology, other features. For example, connecting a phone to a non-terrestrial network. Satellite. Satellites, yes. So you get coverage also once you are yep. outside of a big city. Uh, there are many other features. Some are very small, require a very modest amount of work. Some are bigger. So uh, this is the discussions going on. Okay. And uh, eventually what will come up, you know, it's, it depends, highly depends on the eventually the 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 converged the focus of the company so if the focus is on very sophisticated uh, or a high end it may take longer to develop and then they might consider just okay let's keep on studying it studying it making sure we can actually deliver it uh, 
in one year because it's a lot of work, a lot of uh, engineering working on that. So we need to make sure we are not uh, um, we are not uh, targeting something which we which will uh, be too uh, too much for the time uh, time scale that are currently defined. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So um, it sounds like uh, there's some enthusiasm for it, but there's still some final decisions to be made as to whether it can be fit into release 19 or not. Correct. As, as a feature. As a feature. As a study item, so we are going to work on it. There is no question. I think this is almost a... So it never, you can never know, of course, until the decision is made. But from what I noticed, other companies are excited about it, uh, want to know more about it. It kind of, uh, both the engineering and the business is excited about it. They need to understand the work uh, impact to make sure it fits into the release 19 uh, timescale. So this, I think, is the main uh, Very good. discussions, yes. Well, we could talk more, but there's other standards work going on in other bodies. So uh, when you're not on uh, a plane or a conference call with uh, our colleagues in 3GPP, you're also working with IEEE that defines Wi-Fi. What's happening there? Yes, IEEE is is the standard uh, body that uh, defines the internet. 802.3, 802.3, and also the Wi-Fi, Ethernet over uh, uh, wireless. Uh-huh. Yes. So uh, uh, in the Wi-Fi uh, study, a task group was, uh, not a task group, but an uh, uh, interest group was uh, formed last year just to understand if it's possible, if, uh, if there is a possibility to connect to standard Wi-Fi network, uh, our ambient tags, and uh, a lot of uh, work was done there, a lot of researches, a lot of uh, studies done by several companies. And uh, the results, it seems uh, reasonable. And uh, so in that period, the process is in order to become a task group, which uh, task group needs to finish the task of defining the ambient, uh, the standard underlying ambient uh, tags. We first need to define the project. So the study group was formed in order to define a project where all companies agree what will be and what won't be in the project. For example, 
we discuss uh, what frequencies should we include. We have, usually Wi-Fi has a lot of uh, frequency. It can work on five, five gigahertz. It can work on 2.4 gigahertz. And it can also work on uh, sub one gigahertz. Oh. Yes. So, so 2.4 is kind of where it all started. Very busy. So uh, also shared with Bluetooth as well. So yes. That's interesting. So um, any view as to what the frequencies are that yes. will be so used? Currently, we are discussing uh, to be focused on 2.4 and also on uh, sub 1G. Uh-huh. Two bands that are currently being discussed to be uh, the targets of uh, ambient tags. Uh, 2.4 is very appealing because, because you get very harmonized across the, the world single uh, band. So it doesn't matter what country you're in, 2.4 gigahertz is available. No one's going to get into trouble for stamping on a frequency that's being used by the emergency services or the armed forces. So it's available. Um, Globally and, available. And so what's uh, what's good about, so why not just use 2.4? What, what would we use uh, uh, that lower sub gigahertz frequency for? So 2.4 is very appealing. It's also all the other devices, the older devices, the legacy work on that. So you can get practically uh, uh, received everywhere. Uh, they, there are uh, issues with this band. First of all, it's uh, it's very crowded. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of lot of devices there, so there are concerns to avoid um, too much uh, radiating too much to this band to avoid the interference. And the other thing is that sub one G conducts power much better compared to two point four. So, if we are uh, to conduct power and uh, charge our tags. Uh, our tags can be much uh, can work much better if it is uh, working on the sub one uh, gigahertz band uh, compared to 2.4. Still, they are both working well. This is better. So this makes sense, and I guess we have practical experience. We have a product that's scaling to uh, uh, more than 100 million units, and it pretty much uses those bands today. Uh, the the 2.4 for sending data and the sub gigahertz for uh, harvesting power uh, and I I think we're all concerned and want to manage the how busy that 2.4 is because it is by used by uh, current Wi-Fi devices and Bluetooth devices but I have some personal experience I, I sit in our offices in San Diego. I have something called the Wall of Williot behind me, which is a thousand Bluetooth tags, all being energized, all broadcasting. And I'm able to use my earbuds, my wireless mouse, my wireless keyboard, and it works fine because these devices are not like, it's not like streaming music. It's little little bursts of data. So, and of course, 2.4 isn't just 2.4. It's actually many channels, isn't it? So that'll be very interesting to see if we can work on some good schemes to use the dozens of different channels to send that data and make it really scale. Perhaps you can join the actual meeting because this was actually one of the main uh, discussion points <laughs> in the last meeting. 
Well, conference and, uh, me in next time, and, and I can point to a thousand tags behind so me. So people we are working. very, well, you say you have hundreds of tags. How can we work together? It's too <laughs> much. Uh, but your point is really right, because every tag sends only like very tiny amount of bits, very infrequent. Yeah. And very low power, every tag. That is the key. We're whispering. whispering. I always the, the analogy I use is like, because when we first brought our product out, people were saying, what's the range? What's the range? You need to have long range. And we have very short range. Our, if our, our, our tags are, are talking and they do kind of talk, they're really whispering. And so it's like having a big restaurant. If everyone's shouting, you can't hear everyone. But if, if every table's whispering to each other, you can have a lot of tables and they can get a lot of uh, great discussions going. And so having tags that whisper is really the source of scalability. And then maybe something great comes out of a discussion at the table and someone stands up and then they shout out, oh, this is what we've decided. And that can then go out to you know a broader set of people. And that, in a way, is the way we're organizing our product with tags that talk to this these bridge devices that consolidate and then occasionally shout out the answer to the, the wider network. So I hope that's the way things go because you know we want it to work and that's what we've seen does work. I think I think eventually the technical and the physical world kind of leads leads you to a very similar solutions. There is no yeah. uh, pragmatism magic rules. here. Yes, yeah. yes. So yeah, I think uh, you know it's not co coincidence that uh, we our product is two point four and sub one uh, gigahertz, and the Wi-Fi is also yes discussing these bands. This is my, the band that makes sense. I mean, yeah, and of course the other problems also. Uh, I think we face maybe Wi-Fi will find different solutions than what we did. Then that's also uh, very good. Yes, we have uh, multiple of solutions. But the, to understand, the important thing, I think, is to understand the problems, which is very different than um, cell phone or a uh, hair dog. It's, it's, very, it's different. It's, it's different type of traffic, a different type of security, different type of uh, range, as you said. So uh, one, once we, we, we understand, the, really understand the problem, then we can find the solutions, you know. So where, how have things progressed? So it sounds like there's some good discussions going. How far have you got in the standards making process with IEEE? So in the IEEE, I think the group for uh, ambient power, all the companies that are involved directly, I think we kind of uh, did manage to get some sort of agreement, uh, but it uh, we still don't... Uh, we need to align with other groups and other companies as well, in order to make sure the project is uh, uh, is is aligned and fits well in the entire .11 ecosystem. So we, we, this is the, the stage we are at now. I think we need to con we need to uh, convey uh, the AMP, the differences, all all the things we talk here about the differences between what's AMP to regular Wi-Fi so that it, it's more clear to other groups as well, not just to the working group uh, that focus on the, on this uh, issue. So I, I hope in the next few months we get this done and then we can start, I hope by January, even before the, the task group. Task group stage, we are starting actual work on 
what are we going to do, what we define, how we define it, um, what is the, you know, how the bits are going through the hair, how the energizing is going to happen, uh, what is the signaling needed, security, uh, the routing, all, all, the, all, all the technical uh, details that needs to be filled in in order for the device to work well. That's good. So we touched on this in our previous conversation, but I want to revisit it. We have IEEE, we have 3GPP, we have Bluetooth that already has implementations on it. Um, you know, is there room for these three standards? How do they compare? Uh, will there be a winner? Will there be a loser? What's, uh, how would you differentiate between what's likely to come out of those three different standards bodies? Yeah, first of all, I think we are defining a new, a new uh, device type, a new class. So it's important to remember we are not uh, just uh, adding a feature to our phone. We are defining a new class of devices. And uh, in order for such a class to be successful, we must have a variety because not every uh, market has the same requirement. So I believe that uh, the, these uh, standards, each will have its own niche of the same class of devices. So for example, the cellular usually defined license band operations. So uh, it's more expensive usually compared to Wi-Fi. Uh, however, it gives you better, better performance, better reliability, so you get better service with better with higher costs. So you get a variety, which is very, very important for ecosystem. Uh, for example, maybe you want uh, to have coverage in hard places and you are willing to pay more for the data going, going uh, from hard places. Uh, compared to data that is uh, uh, easy places, let's say, really with uh, uh, easier uh, to get the data, and then you are willing to pay less, and you're getting a different devices, a different yeah. service. I guess uh, you have cause you have service with uh, with the cellular uh, uh, license band, but you also have customer service, don't you? You can actually uh, go onto a portal and talk to someone about the coverage in this area and yeah i think especially as we start to think about privacy and you know normal people making sense of this ambient iot world where everything in their pantry is online and everything in their medicine cabinet in their uh, drinks cabinet uh, uh in their tool cabinet is online and maybe not everyone wants that uh, you know, for, for for me, I want to know whether my kids have remembered to take their medication, whether my parent uh, has taken their medication, whether it's been kept at the right temperature. I don't want to run out of Bombay Sapphire Gin. I'd like to have that auto replenished, but quite legitimately, some people might not want to opt into that, and they want to talk to someone about making sure that no one's observing their drinking habits habits or knowing the medicine they're taking. There's yes. pros and cons to all these things. And the thing that I like about, yes, maybe you pay a little bit more uh, for for the telco grade service, but you have some someone to help with the governance and the customer service. So I think yes. there's a, a lot to be said for that. But free is also good. 
So yeah, I uh, think I think we need both. I mean, yes. there, there is no one winner take it takes takes it all like Abba said. It's like you have a lot of uh, a lot of markets with a lot of needs, each with its own unique. Even even the same my customers sometimes have different problems they need to solve. Uh, I, I guess controlling the field is not like controlling in store different uh, yeah. places. So. I think it's a very healthy process that both have the development and and the types, and that uh, in the early age, in the early stage, uh, we can see the differentiation between the and understand the differences, the commonalities and the differences. And I think it also appeals to more company. Once you have more standards, each has its own unique IP handling and. Uh, technology investment portfolios so and every company has a different view and different angle on that so it allows more company to get in so if it's example only cellular did it much fewer companies uh, will would have implemented it compared to if also wi-fi is in defining it yeah that is one of the things that excites me about this uh, i mean internet of things is not a new idea it's been around for decades but i don't think it's really achieved its full potential. And one of the things that can help change that is some of the giants that operate that have this recurring revenue relationship with almost every adult, almost every adolescent in the, 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 the modern world. Um, and I think it's going to take those, those giants to, to bring the innovation and the ecosystem of uh, applications, writers, they're going to sit on top of these ambient IoT platforms and really harness the creativity and make it easy to use and, and scale. And standards are the basis of all of that. Without this, It's like laws. You know, why is America, for all its faults, such a great country for um, innovation and commerce? It's because they have basically pretty solid legal system uh, and standards and and that's really what we need to bring to IoT. So Amahai, we normally do the uh, three favorite songs. You've been on the show before, so we've already done that. So I wanted to uh, instead ask you about something a little unusual. You, as well as leading our standards effort, you are also uh, another kind of leader of uh, filmmaking. Um, what? What, tell us a bit about this movie that you made and what was your role in it? Uh, yeah, I, it is kind of like a, a, something, a passion of mine. Uh, I really liked movie all the time, so I, I wanted to create one. So and uh, I studied a little bit directing, where directing is like... Uh, you need to know everything. So you study a little bit acting, a little bit uh, camera, a little bit uh, production, a little bit screenwriting, or you, you know a little bit about anything. And then you need to compile everything into a, yes. a, one creation. It's holistic. Yes. Which I think good standards should be holistic, shouldn't yes. they? Should, yes. They have to balance many things. It's very, there are a lot of commonalities with the actual uh, work, you know, actual doing things. So even though, of course, movies are more creative and uh, much more uh, uh, flexibility to do a lot of things, 
but you still have legacy also in movies, similar to the standards, and you still need to move people to the right direction, very similar to the standard work. Yes, you're harnessing a lot of different creative ideas. Sometimes right. there's conflict. Um, all the time there are conflicts. Yeah. <laughs> of course, yes, yes. And uh, you need to lead and uh, have a vision of the clear vision of what you want it to be. And uh, get uh, everyone on, on board with their own creativity and uh, knowledge and expertise into one coherent uh, creation. And the standards is uh, very similar in that sense. Yeah, and I, you need to be flexible, though. You need to adapt your style, different, behave differently with different people, understand what they need yes. in order to get the best. Yes. Uh, but ultimately, you have a responsibility to the work for making sure that it all comes together. That has to be the uh, primary uh, driver. So what, what is the movie that you made? So I made a movie uh, about... Uh, a group of engineers uh, worked on the during the time of the Second World War. It's a historic movie uh, with a lot of props and uh, artifacts and uh, art, a lot of uh, uh, art related to the uh, to the time, to the history, historic time. And uh, basically, it, I, I will not reveal the entire plot. No. no. <laughs> But what was but, the engineering task they were uh, working uh, on? This is part of the. It's it's a it's not a it's a hard movie. It's not a comedy or a, right. It's a drama. It's a, a drama. A drama exactly, where you kind of take engineering, which is surprisingly not very different from what it was like fifty years ago. I mean, solving engineering. A group of engineers needs to solve engineering problems, behave very similar, act very similar, uh, even though today we have computers, the essence is very similar. And then uh, I am showing a specific problem they had to face, they faced, and uh, uh, using all the historic context, and uh, I hope it relates anyone who is uh, currently working in uh, some high-tech or engineering company uh, to what it was like 50 years ago. Yeah. You can actually relate and understand that things are not very different eventually. So this is, uh, it's funny how there's these waves of creative productions like Oppenheimer's just come out as we're recording this. Uh, in the States, it's big movie. So maybe there's yes. some uh, parallels. Maybe yeah. uh, obviously a different uh, engineering task, I, uh, I imagine. So what, what is the movie called? And is there a way that we can see it? I haven't seen it. I'd like to see it. So uh, so it's uh, The Engineers, it's called. And, uh, the Engineers. Okay. Engineers. And I'm, I will, I'm going to send it to, to some known festivals. Uh -huh. uh, let's see if I get uh, in. Yeah. Get some uh, marketing and publicity in order to get it. And only then I can publish it to, to uh, public uh, networks like, you know, Vimeo and things like that, that can, you can actually see the movie outside. Currently, there is no way to see it. Uh, All right. <laughs> and uh, 
Is it in Hebrew? Is the it's in Hebrew, yeah. And so uh, subtitled, hopefully, for yeah. those of us who are slightly less fluent in the language. Yes, yes. Uh, the when you are doing it in Israel, it's not very easy to find English-speaking uh, actors. So uh, I had to do it in Hebrew, and uh, um, yeah, I will add some subtitles in English as well. Excellent. So I think you're doing very important work. Thank you very much for uh, what you're doing. I know it's at some personal cost with the, the late hours and all, all of the we'll travel. But uh, um, appreciate your updating us. And uh, I will check in again uh, and, and see how things are, are progressing. Uh, thank you, Amai. Thank you very much for having me. I uh, hope to see you again. So that was our standards update episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I did in having that conversation with Amahai. He's a really uh, wonderful creative force and uh, really pleased with the progress that we're hearing about. Do subscribe uh, to hear the latest on what's happening with Ambient IoT. We'll uh, continue to interview companies that are, are working on products and standards and uh, generally influencing the, the ecosystem. I want to thank uh, Aaron Hammock for editing this show and I want to thank you for tuning in and, and making it possible. Speak to you next time. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.